So we are calling our new teaching series the Family Road Trip. So Family Road Trip, this is a family road trip that my family took uh, 10 years ago. So this was the summer before we moved to New York City. And um, I remember it being a lovely trip. But when we were looking through the slides this week, uh, Clara and I, uh, we couldn't prove it from the pictures because, um, as you can see in this picture, they're kind of not feeling it so much. Um, There's there's some other pictures. We were crying laughing because they're just like get worse and worse as the as the week goes by. So, um, yeah, so. I can't prove that we had a good time, but we had this wonderful trip that I remember in my memory where we, um, we went through Colorado and Utah. And um, I kind of grew up, there we go, there's the slide. So family road trip, this image here reminds me of grow, growing up um, in the 80s, we, watching like sitcoms in the 80s. Like all the families always went on these road trips. So they would get a van and then they would go to the Grand Canyon or they would go to California. And we never went on trips like that. Like we went a half an hour away to visit my, my grandparents. That was like the extent of it. And so I kind of dreamed of like, oh, it looks so cool. It looks so fun. So our very first trip we went on, um, we went to Utah and Colorado, and I remember listening to audiobooks. We listened to a lot of Owl City, which, um, if you remember 2010, 10-year-olds were really into Owl City. And so we listened to a lot of Owl City um, on this trip and, and had a good time. Um, I can't prove it by the, the pictures, but I remember having a good time. And we've done other trips since then. So what is this teaching series all about, the family road trip? Well, I truly believe that our faith and our relationship with God is a journey. It's not about a code of ethics or a list of do's and don'ts. Um, Our faith faith is really more than that. It isn't even, um, I don't think, best to think of our faith as, you know, this belief system that we choose to live by. I think we should think of our faith being more than that, a journey that is long that is harder some days than others. Yes, those are the adorable pictures of my, look at Lily. I mean, she's just miserable. (laughs) Clara, she's done. Emma was still trying. Yeah. Yes. All right, so let's go back to the original slide so that you are not distracted by my children looking miserable on their faith journey or just our family road trip. But, um, But most... Most trips, journeys, they're long, right? They're harder some days than others, and you come across things that you don't expect, and you have to kind of make decisions, you have questions, you have struggles. And for a faith journey, you just have to continue to trust that God is there with you on the journey of your faith. And Scripture is really filled with this language of journey. Um, It talks often about um, this relationship with God being a walk or being on a path with God. And I recently read that uh, Pope Francis showed up at a, I think it was a planned visit to this high school that um, he was visiting, and he had planned to speak to these crowd of young men. And 
he got there and he, he said, I think this is just going to bore them. So I'm just going to give you the highlights of what I was going to say, and then I'm going to open it up for questions. And I can just imagine the administration was like, uh, 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 we didn't plan for that. Like, the boys don't have questions for you, which I'm sure they had questions for the Pope, but they didn't have, like, approved questions that um, the administration had, you know, approved. And Pope Francis was like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So a young man asked the question, um, what do I do when I really feel like I enjoy the practices of my faith tradition and um, I enjoy being a part of the church and doing all of the things that are involved in that and yet I still have times of doubt? What do I do? And so Pope Francis talked about how faith is a journey. It's a long journey and it's filled with stops and starts and struggles and setbacks and times of confusion. And Pope Francis said this, he said, journeying is precisely the art of looking towards the horizon, thinking where I want to go, but also enduring the fatigue of the journey, which is sometimes difficult. And then he said, but also, it's bad walking alone. It's bad and boring. Walking in community with friends, with those who love us, that helps us. And I agree with Pope Francis. So if our faith is a journey, then we need people along with us to help us along the way. We need a family on this road trip together. And so during this teaching series, we're going to look at, at how sharing life with multiple generations really helps us in so many ways on our faith journey. And we see this really throughout scripture where multiple generations gather together and they share these faith conversations. They celebrate meals and they celebrate um, religious festivals together and um, talk about what God has done in the past for their people. And we see the older generation kind of giving instruction to the younger generation. Especially we see this in the New Testament where Paul is going to these new churches. You know, this is new faith of Christianity. And he's giving advice and saying, older men and women, can you walk alongside the younger men and women and help them along with the struggles, things that you've already gone through, help them along the way. Last week I read about a friend here um, who was a part of Everyday Church, who now lives in California, and she talked about being at Target with two preschoolers by herself. And I immediately felt that in my body, because I remember, I remember, I felt it in my gut, like, ooh, those days, uh, those are hard, going to Target with two, two preschoolers. And they were not having their best day. Um, they were struggling, and she was struggling just to get them in a cart. And, uh, and an older woman, older than her, walked past her, and looked at her struggling, and she said to her, it gets easier. And she said, in that moment, it got easier because somebody just encouraged me along the way. And I think all of us need people a little bit farther ahead of us in our faith, in our careers, in our parenting, in our life stages, all of that. Just a step ahead of us turning around and saying, you're going to make it it's easier. Come along, walking alongside and encouraging. But we also learn from people who are younger than us, and we see this in scripture as well. A few months ago, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah, and prophet, the prophet Jeremiah was a very young man, maybe even a teenager, when God picked him to be the one who would go and speak a very inconvenient truth to power. 
He chose a young man to do that. And we see God doing that over and over again. He will choose the younger brother instead of the older brother, even though culturally it should be the older brother who is chosen to lead. And yet God just uses that younger brother over and over again. Consider um, King David and how he was chosen, how the prophet was sent to Jesse. Jesse was going to have a son that would be the new king of Israel. And so the prophet shows up and says, Show me your sons. And, of course, he introduces from the oldest, right? God doesn't pick the oldest. He doesn't pick the next to the oldest. He goes through all of his sons, and none of them are picked. And he says, do you have any more sons? He's like, oh, yeah, the youngest one is out in the fields. And David, come and bring David. And it's David who's chosen, the youngest brother. He's the one who leads the nation of Israel. We see this idea that we can learn and we can be led by people younger than us. In the New Testament, Paul encourages this young man that he meets um, named Timothy and sees his uh, faith and that it is strong and that he needs to lead out of that faith. And so he tells them this very important line that many young people have clung to. I remember memorizing it when I was a young person as well. Uh, Do not look, let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers, all the believers, in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then we see Jesus, when we see in Jesus' life, he tells his adult followers that he wants them to change and become like little children. Change and become like little children. If you want to be a part of my kingdom that I'm building here on earth that looks different than what is going on in this earth right now. If you want to be a part of the kingdom, you need to change and be like little children. And what's interesting is that word that's translated as little children can also be translated as the word slave. Just kind of shows the, the importance and the time that children had in the culture. Very different from our, our culture now. I mean, in this family, if a baby comes in, everybody's like, right? We, we love our children. But it, they had a very different um, importance in that culture. They were looked down on. They were beneath. And that's what that word that Jesus used shows. And he said, change and be like them. You should learn from them. And that's what Jesus does over and over again. He lifts people who are beneath, and he chooses them to lead. And so in this walk of faith, this journey, we learn from one another, right? We need each other. We need multiple generations that we're learning from one another in order for our faith to really be strong, for us to be able to go on this journey together. And so right now we are having a bit of a baby boom um, at Everyday Church. It's a lot of fun, um, especially for those of us who don't have babies in our home, but we just love the babies to be around. It's very fun for us. Um, I think we had five babies born in 2019. So later in the service, we're going to um, have a special time of blessing for our newest little baby, um, baby Emma. And it's really a practice that we see done through scripture. Uh, Maybe not exactly how we do it, but we see even Jesus as a baby being taken to the temple and his parents asking for a blessing to be spoken over um, baby Jesus from the priest. This idea of a prayer of blessing that um, your child would grow up and know the love of God. And so in all the dreams that we have for our children, and we have many, um, 
We really want our children to grow up to know how deeply they are loved by God and that that knowledge would change their lives, that it would just grow in them and um, follow them throughout their lives. And we, we dream this not just for our children. We dream that for our friends and our family as well. And so um, how do we share our faith and our love for God with our children and with others? Well, honestly, there are lots of very strong opinions about that, right? Um, maybe some are different even. Uh, lots of books have been written on the t- topic. Uh, you can Google it, and you will see some lots and lots of books. Um, sermons, lots of sermons given on it. Many, many um, occasions of unsolicited advice offered on this topic. Uh, I think of how many times people have quoted the proverb, Start off children on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Which is, you know, really this promise of, you know, you pour into your kids, and then that they will not forget what you give them as a, in your home. Um, but what does that start look like? It can look very different in different homes, right? So I don't want to give any unsolicited advice this morning, but I think um, it's helpful to... Um, Remember these two ideas when we consider how we kind of share our faith, how faith grows in our children and really in others. And so um, I'm going to give you these two kind of ideas to think about this morning. So the first one is that of a garden gardening analogy. So this is something that a, a children's minister shared with me years ago, and it stuck with me. I shared it, I think, like five years ago here. So um, if you didn't hear it, you're going to hear it today. If you, You're going to hear it again. If you heard it the first time, and probably you're at a different place than you were five years ago, and so it might feel a little different for you. So in this analogy, it's um, a gardening analogy. It's the idea of, like, extreme different types of gardening are similar to kind of the extremes of how you might share your faith um, with your children or with somebody else. So the first type of parenting is that of a bonsai tree. So a bonsai tree... They're beautiful, right? Um, The idea is you plant a regular tree seed, it grows, um, but the gardener is constantly clipping and keeping that tree to look in a way that the gardener wants it to look, right? So it takes constant training. You're completely dependent on the gardener, right, to make it look the way he wants it to look. And this can be the approach um, for many parents, many people who are discipling other people in the church as well. You give kids the right rules, you protect them um, from the outside world, and you just, your hope is that that will produce this specific type of follower of God. And that can be true, too, for a new Christian. You know, somebody tells you exactly, gives you a list of do's and gives you a list of don'ts, and that is what, you know, you are supposed to look like as um, a follower of God. The problem is the tiniest bit of neglect or a misjudgment, and that bonsai tree doesn't really thrive because it's completely dependent on the gardener's control. The plant can't really thrive and survive on its own. The other extreme is a wildflower, wildflower, um, a field of wildflowers. So the idea that many people have with wildflowers is you just kind of toss seeds into the ground and these beautiful flowers kind of grow up. Um, and so that is 
some people's idea of maybe growing faith in their children. This idea that, like, you just love your kids and they just grow up and they love God too. And you just don't really think about it. It just naturally kind of happens. And um, that actually isn't how wildflowers grow. Um, I didn't know that because I don't really garden very much. But I have tried to grow wildflowers before. And what will happen if you don't do anything but just plant them in the ground is weeds will come up with the flowers. So many weeds that you don't know the difference between the flowers and the weeds. And so what it takes to grow a field of wildflowers is to have this um, care for the soil. Make sure the soil is ready to produce only wildflowers and not the weeds. And so you're always working on preparing an environment so that the wildflowers can thrive. And I think that's true with faith. We can't make our kids love and follow God any more than we can make anyone fall in love with somebody else. Right? That doesn't really happen. Um, We can try. I, I had a best friend. She had three boys. We tried really hard for our, our kids. It didn't really happen, um, but uh, we're still working on that. But um, <laughs> we can provide this. We can work on providing a, an environment for the Holy Spirit to do the work. It isn't really our job to do that. The Holy Spirit grows faith in us and in our children. And so the goal isn't to control our kids in such a way that they de- we decide what um, they look like or what their faith looks like. Instead, it's to provide this environment for them to be the unique people that God has created them to be and to know and to love God. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like for us to kind of create this environment for not only our kids, but for us as well in our homes, but also in this faith community here. And I think it's really important for us to remember that kids are not given to us um, as a blessing, which they are. That's something we want to remember this morning is that every child is a blessing, but they aren't given to us for us to create what we want them to look like. We don't get to decide their personalities or their preferences or their dislikes or what they're good at and what they aren't. We aren't creating bonsai trees that we just sit to enjoy. God created them uniquely and really gives us the pleasure and sometimes the struggle of helping them to know how God made them unique and beautiful in their own way and to know that they are loved by God for who they are and not for what they do. So that's the idea of bonsai trees and wildflowers. And I hope that that is helpful, not only for the idea of children, um, but also everybody, really, that we come across that we want to share how we love God and how God loves us. The the next thing I want to talk about is the idea that um, faith journeys have very different paths that um, that people can take that still lead them to this, like, flourishing relationship and journey with God. And uh, my middle daughter, Lily, is going to a a Jesuit college in Philadelphia. And what that has meant is that she has learned a lot about Jesuit teachings and practices um, and really enjoyed kind of learning about that. And she's taking a theology class this semester. 
And I found that I'm much more interested in talking to her about her theology class than her calculus class or her computer science class. Um, I'm always like, what are you reading? What did you read this week? And uh, so she told me about this um, chapter in a book that she was um, assigned to read called A Jesuit's Guide to Almost Everything, A Spirituality for Real Life. It's by um, James Martin, who is a priest. And he said in his experience, he sees these six different paths that um, people go on in their walk, in their journey with God. Um, and he kind of says that each path has some strengths, each path has some dangers, and it isn't the idea that you want to stay on one path, but how God kind of uses all these different paths in our lives. And so uh, I really resonated reading through. I, I kind of felt like I was raised with this idea that there was one path that everybody had to be on, and if you were off that path, you were kind of doing the wrong thing. And um, it was very helpful because in my experience as a pastor, I have seen how God has used all of these paths um, in different people's lives and even in mine. And so I'm just going to walk through um, the six different paths. So the first path is the path of belief. Um, that is for a person who was raised in a home where they were taught about faith and about religious instruction at their home, in their home. And, and as they get older, they just kind of keep that faith as well. So they, they just um, go from childhood into adulthood with a very similar faith. And there are um, wonderful benefits to that. Um, and there are some also some dangers in that as well. Um, that I won't go into all of them, but um, if you're interested in looking more into that, um, I can give you some information, um, a blog to look at. But um, the second path is the path of independence. So this is, are people who were um, maybe raised with spirituality or um, Christian faith, and then at some point they've become disconnected with organized religion, so they might not have a church family, but they still are practicing their faith. They're still um, praying. They're still studying. They're still in connection with God. That hasn't changed. Another path is the path of disbelief. And this one is hard to understand that this could be a path that, that actually leads to connection with God. But I've seen how it, it happens for many people this way. Um, for people who are disconnected to church, and to organize religion, and they also are at a place where they are not quite sure that God exists. He may or may not exist. And so that is a path that actually I have seen um, people need to go through, this time of disbelief that actually leads them to a place where they do believe in God and that God shows up on this path and, and there's um, a great connection in this time. Another path is the path of return. This are people that were raised um, with belief and faith, and then they became an adult, and they just kind of stopped pursuing their faith. And then for various reasons, they start to get curious about God, and their faith is kind of reignited. And it looks different than it did as a child, but it's, it's new, and it's their adult faith. Another path is the path of exploration. These are people who, who know what they believe. They clearly have a connection to God and their belief system, and yet they find it very beneficial for them to kind of explore different practices of various faith um, traditions. And I, I kind of relate to this as well. I, um, I wouldn't say that my 
beliefs have changed greatly, like the core, val core values of my belief, but yet I was raised in this community um, that didn't really uh, value or teach a lot about contem contemplative work, um, prayer, like deep, talked about prayer, but not in the way um, that other church traditions really um, focus on, and I've really valued it, um, learning from Catholic traditions and Anglican um, faith traditions to really learn um, a lot about my faith from that. And so um, that is a path of exploration. The last path is the path of confusion. These are people who are still in the church. They um, value their faith community, and yet they're still at a place where they're not quite sure where they fit anymore. And so they still see God as a bit of a mystery and that they aren't quite sure about it all. So here is why these different paths are so important. And I think especially for those of us who are parents, um, especially parents of older children, maybe even adults, it is that we don't necessarily choose the path that other people go on, but that God is with everybody on these paths that God can work in these paths. And so we don't need to just like live in fear when people are in, on a different path than maybe we've been on. And you can just um, kind of rest a little bit and say that God is with them on that path. This is part of their journey and their journey looks different. And so what can we do? We can walk alongside of them. No matter what path they are on, we can walk alongside of them, we can love them and pray with them and for them on these different journeys. And I think that's important because I think deep inside of each of us, each of us have this desire, and this is in, I think, everyone, our children, um, everyone around us, we all have this desire to both be known and to be loved at the same time to be known and loved. Think about that for a minute. How many people in your life can you say, they know me and they love me, right? There are some people that we um, don't feel like we can be our true authentic selves and be loved at the same time. And sometimes there are people that we choose to maybe show up and risk losing conditional love for the possibility that we might be both known and loved unconditionally. And I think that is inside each of us because it is the way God loves us. He knows us and he loves us. And I believe our calling as parents and friends is to strive to both know and love people, no matter what path they're on, no matter what they look like or act like. Um, and so... I think we are learning how to love the way God loves us. So this morning, I want to just close with this beautiful psalm, Psalm 139, that um, reminds us how God knows us and loves us and kind of encourages us to love others this way as well. May uh, we strive to love others the way he loves us. So Psalm 139, God says this, says you, or I'm sorry, the, the um, psalm writer writes this about God. He says, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit, Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, Lord. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Let's pray. <clears throat> 